Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wind and Words, a podcast diving deep into the many beautiful words that appear in Ulysses by James Joyce. I'll be going chapter by chapter, keeping a diary of how I feel on my way through the famous slash infamous novel, and keeping track of my favorite quotes. We're on to chapter two, with the daunting chapter three in front of us. Ooh. Where to start on this one? I think there's been a lot of character explanation. Uh, I guess you could call it development, but it's only been two chapters, so I'm not really sure how we call that. Stephen's intelligence is the central theme, apparently, of every chapter of his. And here we go again with that poetic mind. At this point, I won't speak to the Bloom chapters, obviously, but... I'm wondering how different it will be for these quotes I hit on. Anyways, let's carry on. Chapter 2, Nestor. Had Pyrrhus not fallen by a beldam's hand in Argos, or Julius Caesar not been knifed to death, they are not to be thought away. Time has branded them, and fettered they are lodged in the room of infinite possibilities they have ousted. But can those have been possible seeing what they never were? Or is that only possible which came to pass? Weave, weaver of the wind. Page 21, line 48. This one is a conflict in Stephen's own mind, and it's basically a butterfly effect. What would happen if history happened differently? It's a thought too big for any man. Even Stephen moves on after spending a brief thought of it. But here that wind is again. Weave, weaver of the wind. And again, it's not very clear. In this case, I read it as manipulation, saying for this weaver to pull on this thread, and the wind is thought. He's putting off this thought to an imaginary figure, but the meaning is very different. As there's no mention of the void, and in this case, he's almost putting himself as the weaver of the wind, someone that almost pulled the thread. But it's a strange thought. Is this action that calls to the void just thinking, in this case? Playing these impossible scenarios out? That's close to the role of a writer, his persona. He's clearly not the most holy man, but maybe this is all tongue-in-cheek. Regardless, this poetic line shows up again, and it got me excited, I'm not going to lie. Let's skip ahead to later in the chapter. This one's relatively simple, but very important. It's life advice. To learn, one must be humble, but life is the great teacher. Page 29, line 407. This is one that I guarantee, yes, I looked it up, will appear all over the image search of James Joyce quotes with fancy backgrounds or pictures of mountains as these life lessons from Tumblr or whatever. Is it cliche? Maybe. Maybe not. Some things are cliche because of literature like this. And that may be the case. Regardless, it's a fantastic line. I think this is a bit of a stab at academia, honestly. Or at least organized learning. Stephen's too smart to be a teacher, for certain. For him, learning is at a much grander scale. And the world can teach us a lot that nobody can tell us in a classroom. Before I read Ulysses, I read another beast of literature, Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. I know, I know. Sorry for the flex. My update to this point is relevant to it, as I feel they have very opposite approaches to this. Infinite Jest obviously came later with no ignorance of the book. Regardless, Infinite Jest has so many incredible drop-the-book-and-think moments but they're all hidden between these long four-page paragraphs of just information to look past. And you usually go, you know, 30 pages before you find another one of those diamonds. 
Ulysses drops that everywhere. Those little pearls that keep you coming back, they make you realize that reading this stuff is important. While life may be the great teacher, literature, literature is little pictures into that. And that's important too. Thank you, everyone. This has been Wind and Words. Better rush out.